0: Download the Instacart app today to get free delivery on your first three orders, while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply.
1: You're leaving at a time where the House will probably flip Republican anyway. Is that oh, a factor while think you're getting out?
2: It's way too early to say uh, you know, who's going to be in charge in November. It's not a factor, okay. it's, and it's too early to say who's going to be uh, in control of the, the House and Senate.
1: Ever the optimist. Well, that was in January. Unfortunately, it didn't go yeah. your way. Yeah, but it was close.
2: It was very close. And it was a, not a Republican wave. It turned out to be a Republican yep. ripple or somebody I'd say a tinkle. Close. So, uh, <laughs> right. And, uh, and it was a very close majority now. But, uh, and we retained control of the Senate. Democrats have the Senate, which is good in the White House. Service. Right. But
1: everything changes. Yeah. And uh, well, you're not going to be there for it. You're, you're leaving. So it's up to the next guy to deal with the Republicans in charge. You know, what? we're going to talk about everything. Uh, We'll take a look back at your career and everything, and we'll reflect on where you might be going, what's your your next chapter. But first, listen, we've got some news. Uh, And you're still in Congress for the next couple of weeks until things change. And there's a lot of news. Just last night, we're taping on a Friday, just last night, uh, we're taping on Thursday, rather. Just last night, uh, President Zelensky from the Ukraine addressed Congress. And here's why I think he came in. Because he knows the Republicans are taking over in January, and he he may not get as much cash as he's looking for from them. Has it been right to give him billions, 47 billion coming his way? It is a very powerful speech that he gave last
2: night. Uh, I think it was important that he was able to come to, uh, to Washington meet with President Biden, mm-hmm. uh, address a joint session of Congress. Uh, and he reminded everyone of what we are fighting for, what he is fighting for. The Ukrainian people have really stepped up and, and are fighting for their country, fighting for democracy and he said the, the aid that the United States is giving is not charity, it, it, it is, uh, it's an investment in global security and in democracy. So he, he had a very powerful message right. and he came to thank the American people. And he did say thank you for the aid that you're giving to Ukraine and it, we need to continue to support uh, this uh, right. Ukraine against this uh, unlawful, unjust war that, that, that Russia has thrust upon uh... the ukrainian people
1: it really more it really is more than money we're fighting a proxy war with russia and we're giving him in addition to billions forty seven billion coming his way in addition to the two billion he picked up just a day ago uh... we're gonna give him the patriot missile system which he's been begging for you know your colleague elizabeth elizabeth warren the uh, democrat from massachusetts senator she said that's a mistake that really ups the ante in this proxy war do you agree with elizabeth warren on that She's I, against that I, I i don't agree
2: with elizabeth warren i i think that the it's appropriate that we send uh, the Patriot missile system there. I support President Biden's decision to do that, to better protect against incoming uh, Russian missiles. The Patriot missiles Mm -hmm. uh, is a great interceptor program. And uh, look, there are not U.S. boots on the ground. There are not U.S. warplanes fighting in this war. We are supplying the uh, the Ukrainian people Mm -hmm. uh, with, with the arms they need to defend themselves and their country, and they're being highly effective uh, against uh, this Russian invasion. Now, Russia, Vladimir Putin thought that this war was going to be over in you know maybe two or three weeks and mm-hmm. maybe most people thought that that was the way it was going to happen. It didn't turn out the way because of the, the courage of the Ukrainian people and backed up by uh, both the, the, the arms that the United States and our allies in NATO are providing. Remember, President Biden has been highly effective at rallying the international community, rallying uh, NATO and Western countries to support President Zelensky and and the Ukrainian people uh,
1: in this war against uh, Russia and and Vladimir Putin in particular. He's also been pretty effective at rallying his Republican critics who say, listen, you're giving billions and billions to Ukraine, which was a corrupt country before the war. We know the problems they've had with corruption. And there's no accounting. And the Republicans who were taking over in January on your side, on your side of of the uh, of the uh, House are, are saying, uh, we, have, we need an accounting. This is just money that we're throwing into a black hole. Do you see any of that? So uh, accountability
2: is important. And I do believe that there, by the way, is broad bipartisan support for supporting Ukraine there in this war against Russia. And and I believe that, that, that bipartisan support will continue. Now, the, the Republicans can posture and, and such, but I think at the end of the day, they're going to be there. Now, accountability is always important. And those tough questions have been asked. I sit as a senior member of the House Armed Services Committee, right. and those those questions have uh, been coming up repeatedly again, about, from to the administration. You know, where are we in terms of accountability? And the the accountability questions are being addressed, and I believe that there is accountability of where these weapons are going, and right. making sure that they're getting into the right hands, the right places, and that you know, obviously we'd never want to see any of these weapons fall into the wrong hands. So,
1: the accountability to the greatest right. extent that we can is is. Is being guaranteed. All right. So before we leave this topic, you're satisfied with giving them the Patriot missiles? You're satisfied with giving them uh, well two billion just this week, another forty-five billion, and you're satisfied that the money is going where it's supposed to going, uh, supposed to be going. It, it, is, it is a lot of money, no doubt
2: about it. And it, it, but it is, as President Zelensky said, this is an investment in 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 this uh, democracy mm-hmm. and global security. We cannot allow Vladimir Putin to start the, the largest uh, land war in Europe since World War II and a, making a land grab by force. that Those days have to be over. And if we don't push back, you don't know what uh, Vladimir Putin is going to do next. Where would he go next when he uh, conquered Ukraine? There's, a, there's a, a clear goal that he has in mind that he wants to reconstitute the borders of the old Soviet Union mm-hmm. and if that's the case and you just to restore uh, the, Russia and, and the USSR to its, its grander days, then that means he's going to go beyond Ukraine and that's a wider war and that could very well involve the United States. If we can stop Vladimir Putin here, then we can uh, prevent
1: that white wall from ever happening. Okay, let's stay in Washington. Let's stay in that building. Uh, by the time this program airs, the January 6th report will have come out. Now, this is separate from the criminal charges that the committee recommended be filed against President Trump. By the way, White Whitehouse uh, kind of downplayed that. He said "Well, it is a political committee and a U.S. attorney in the Justice Department may not act on what is a political com- committee? Do you believe that this committee was lopsided? Was this? A, were they in search of an outcome that was predetermined, that, to charge a former president criminally? So criminal Recom- charge, recommend the charges. The,
2: the, the charges that the the commission is recommending right. uh, to the justice department uh, just that they are recommendations. They don't have the force of law. At the right. end of the day, this is going to be up to career prosecutors within the Department of Justice or the, the, the special counsel that's been appointed to make a determination as to whether or not vi- laws have been violated. Look, the, 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 uh, what, what the January 6th Commission did is, is incredibly important for accountability purposes, mm-hmm. for uh, letting history show the record of, of who is responsible. Clearly, the evidence was presented. It clearly shows that Donald Trump was the person that is responsible for assembling that crowd. He ignited that, that, right. that, that flame, that, uh, that, uh, that fuse that, that then set January 6th in motion that was an insurrection, that was an attempt to interfere mm-hmm. with the lawful, uh, peaceful transfer of power by counting the, the electoral votes and in, in, uh, receiving those electoral right. votes in, in Congress. Donald Trump bears that accountability, and he should be held
1: accountable anybody else that was involved in, in that coup but attempt on y- January 6th. You would agree that this was Nancy Pelosi's committee. She wouldn't allow certain Republicans to be seated. She went with a couple of really Trump-hating Republicans, including Liz Cheney. The outcome was almost predetermined. They made a compelling case. I watched it, and I've seen those videos, and nobody likes seeing what went down that day. But the notion that this committee was a bunch of Democrats who were out to get Donald Trump, it, it seems to be bearing fruit. Well, look, the, the, the facts speak for
2: themselves. And you did have, it was a bipartisan committee. You did have Adam Kinzinger and, and Liz Cheney. Yeah. Yeah. That, let, me, let me push on back
1: on that. It wasn't who the leadership wanted. The Republicans wanted Jim Jordan and others who would have been able to cross-examine, present a different set of facts, yeah. and give it more of a fair and balanced approach. It yeah. was Nancy's committee. Yeah. Yeah, I would have loved to have seen a, a more fair and, and
2: balanced, if you would okay. call that, uh, right. a, a, a more more Republican involvement. You just make news there. No, no, but I want to say this. The, the, the people that they were appointing uh, were not fair and balanced. Uh, th- those were, they were not objective. Well, it would have Jim, made the Jim, proceedings more Jim, fair and balanced. No, Jim Jim Jordan, unfortunately, and I, you know, I, I, these are my colleagues, and I, even yeah. though you know, we have differences of opinion, I, I, I still respect them as colleagues, but I don't respect the fact that they ignore facts, and ignore what happened on January 6th and are clearly willing to dismiss uh, the the uh, what what happened, the facts on on January 6th. And they weren't. Okay. Jim Jordan was not going to be an objective Republican on that committee. Oh, so, and so Liz Cheney was going so, to so be yeah, an objective Republican. Yeah, I, th- I, I think give, she, give a little she, bit. She, she's she's telling the truth. It's the is the, uh, the,
1: the fact uh, of the matter. I and understand, so but it, it is courage. kind of a semi-legal so, proceeding I, that Republicans weren't allowed to have. Uh, the ones ones they wanted. So you you wish it would have been a little more balanced? What what are you saying? I
2: I would have said if we had more uh, equal, uh, more Republican involvement, I would have been fine with that. But I am fine with the people that uh, did appoint. I think Liz Cheney and Adam Kinzinger were were fair and objective and uh, uh, encouraging and allowing the facts to come out. The facts was what drove this. And giving the Republicans the opportunity To have people on there that were going to be obstructionist and were not interested in hearing the truth that would have been a non-starter so uh,
1: you know nancy had a tough choice to make Uh, i support what she decided let me make sure i'm accurate with what i'm quoting sheldon whitehouse he said if you have the evidence presented and if you have compelling evidence perhaps the justice department would act however the procedure what he sees he didn't underscore and say exclamation point. It is a political committee and the Justice Department and U.S. attorneys generally don't act on that. He also told me earlier in another appearance on this very program that it was a very dangerous slippery slope to get down for one party to go after the former president of the opposition party. He said that was a dangerous slippery slope. You agree with that?
2: Because well, we're in uncharted territory. We here. are definitely in uncharted territory. And I, I think that that's we have to rely on facts. And you rely on uh, career prosecutors to ultimately make that decision. The, the recommendations for Congress are yep. showing have have weight, and the evidence that was assembled has weight, and prosecutors should consider that. But you know, uh, I, I as since SHELTON'S a former prosecutor, I defer to him on his his analysis and don't disagree with what he's what right. he's saying. And I think that any next steps in terms of prosecution need to be very carefully considered because uh, Donald Trump is now a a candidate uh, for president, but I certainly hope that because of his actions yeah. uh, on January 6th, I hope it disqualifies him for ever holding uh, office again, and uh, I, I it's my hope that he never okay. becomes president of the United States or any elected office uh, ever again. Yeah, Sheldon Whitehouse.
1: I want to be clear. Uh, he was doubtful that the U.S. the U.S. Attorney to the Justice Department would pick this up, but he also said, if you have the evidence to make a compelling case, let the evidence be. Congressman. Well, that leaves us with what's next then. Are you are you done with politics?
2: I'm not sure what the next uh, steps will be, and as I said, I want to have I want to do something that certainly will be in in in, in service to the people of Rhode Island somehow. But there's many t- that's. Could be many different forms, even in a volunteer capacity.
1: That's Congressman Langevin. That was uh, I was with you in January when you gave us the news that you weren't going to run again, yeah. and you made headlines. We're going to get to what's next for you coming up a little later in the broadcast. In the meantime, we're kind of continuing our conversation about what's now for you. You're still in office. To, there's still news to be dealt with, issues uh, to be dealt with, including Donald Trump and his tax returns. When you ran for office in your cam- campaigns, you never released your tax returns. You felt that you had certain uh, privacy issues regarding the settlement with your accident, you didn't want to release them. Was it fair for Congress to vote to release former President Trump's tax returns? We know that presidents are subject to audits. We know that never happened with the IRS. But as far as releasing his tax returns against his will, is that a slippery slope, Congressman? I don't mm-hmm. think you would have liked if anybody did that to you. Well, first of all, it, there's a big difference between a member of Congress and the
2: President of the United States in terms of the power that they have to enrich themselves or, and. Uh, or make decisions that are going to uh, channel uh, funds to their friends or mm-hmm. their business or their the person. A big difference between a member of Congress and a president of the United States. But aren't aren't and them- I and I and I think that yeah. uh, the the Ways and Means Committee uh, weighed everything and, and terms of uh, what's in the public's best interest and they they voted to release Donald Trump's tax returns and 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 now there'd be greater scrutiny as to know where. Uh, the income came from, and also, uh, also um, uh, the uh, any other uh, issues
1: in terms of how much you know uh, Donald Trump actually paid in taxes and, and such. So. Well, you're right. There's a big difference between uh, a congressman and a senator, and the president of the United States. We understand that, but some of the same principles uh, apply. Uh, you were criticized. For some of the stock trades you made in Congress, you made you made some money. Uh, so it's not, kind of the same principles. Year. Not
2: this year. <laughs> I well, Everybody it, has a bad market? year. Yeah, the size is
1: terrible yeah. in the stock But you see what I'm getting at. You, yeah. you made money. Some criticized you, and you didn't want to release your returns, yeah.
2: but, but hey, yeah. they released his. But all the, uh, the financial information that I have is transparent, and we are required to list all of our assets yeah. and put that out there. Uh, Donald Trump really didn't even do that. And so that's why, uh, again, having uh, that information, I think, is important. It's a very different... Uh, situation from a member of Congress or a, an executive of the President of the United States where uh, there that, that, that needs to be a greater level
1: of, of transparency. Should politicians like yourself and like the president be forced to release their tax returns? Should we make that a matter mm-hmm. of law? Well, maybe that's something that, that will happen at some point. And, why didn't and you so want the, to release uh, yours? Why, did, I, did, my, did I recap it correctly?
2: My, my medical expenses, okay. uh, I think that's private information. That it's, it's, uh, I'm not on a level playing field with other people that, uh, that, that are in elective office right. that, that, uh, that, uh, that don't have the kind of medical expenses and privacy expenses issues that I have. So uh, that's one of the reasons why I did it. But everything that I thought that I was required by mm-hmm. law to disclose, I did that accurately and faithfully. And and, uh, you know, with the law.
1: Do, do, um, you took a little heat for some stock trades you made uh, and you said you lost money this year. We all have. Yeah. <laughs> I looked at my 401k. Yeah. It, it's down. Uh, you want to address that? Do you think Congress needs to tighten the laws regarding people who are serving uh, trading yeah. stock? Yeah. You, you, by the way, you said, listen, it was above board. I did nothing wrong. I made some money. Cool. So th- everything that I did was uh, allowed uh, by uh, under
2: the law. Uh, that I've only traded on publicly uh, available information and I disclosed uh, any stock trades I made in consult in, again did investing and con- consultation with my my financial advisor but clearly there's a there's a shift that has taken place in the in the the eyes of the the public that uh, that they don't want members of congress trading stocks and so there is legislation that would uh, prevent that from happening going forward. I've said on the record that, yeah. that I would support that if it came to a vote because it's what my constituents want. I'm not there uh, representing uh, myself. I'm there representing the people of the state of Rhode Island as I've always have been. And, and, and if that, I said that if that bill came to the floor, that that I would vote for it, but you, going forward, I think it's probably best. Because I, I was, if I was going to give uh, advice to uh, to uh, so others, other my, my colleagues yeah. that, that you know invest in index funds and uh, don't and, and, uh, do uh, individual stocks only because a the you know the the concern that people have to, you know there's always going to be uh, the, the the naysayers that think that you're getting some kind of an advantage. Even if though you're 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 not, you can do everything above the board. It's the perception. It's the perception issue, and so to not deal with that, just you know, invest either in index funds or uh, you know CDs or or things like that.
1: Well, do you think it was a mistake to keep going? You you had faced criticism for a couple of years, and and you had some pretty good trades. I I should I don't want to you have you have knowledge of cyber. Uh, issues yeah. uh, apart from what yeah. you know that I don't yeah. know, you also have a general knowledge. This yeah. was your area. Gen- publicly available information
2: is what uh, that I and I and I definitely tried to always avoid things like uh, investing in defense stocks mm-hmm. or since it's on the Armed Services Committee uh, or uh, in, in cyber uh, stocks and, and and I've I've avoided uh, those on balance. So, do you think it was unfair criticism? It, it, it's, you know, the public has a, uh, a strange way of deciding you know, in, in the, what they think is fair criticism or not, and I respect people's views on that.
1: Let's talk a little bit more about maybe what you perceive as unfair criticism. Uh, you had a bunch of opponents through the years, and they would always say, Oh, he hasn't passed many bills. Uh, where, where's, you would say, What? So I'm very
2: proud of the record of accomplishment, and in, in Congress, the way it works is you, you introduce a bill and then generally it gets turned into an amendment and it gets attached to a, a broader bill. That's just the fact, that's the way Congress works. It's not like the General Assembly where, and when I was in the General Assembly, I introduced a bill and you see it go through the process right. and that individual bill will become law. It just doesn't really work that way in, in Congress. So just by way of example, one of the, the things I'm most proud of is my work in the national security uh, arena, uh, and especially in the area of of And I introduced a bill 10 years ago that I've been yeah. working on to create a, a national cyber director. So after many years, and after the Cyberspace Solarium Commission made it one of their big recommendations, I was able to finally uh, turn that, that bill uh, into, a, into an amendment that got added and passed in the, the, how, the uh, National Defense Authorization Act. And a couple of years ago, we created the national cyber director in the executive Office of the president. I, I created a whole department that is that yeah. is focused on, on cyber now. I'm very proud of Chris Inglis as our first Inaugural mm-hmm. uh, National Cyber Director. has done important work and it's done exactly what I hope it would do uh, is, is to set that role, serve as the principal advisor to the president and, uh, on, on, on cyber issues and coordinating cyber policy. But that's just one example of, of how uh, you, know, you turned
1: an amendment in, uh, into uh, a bill, into an amendment into right. a law. So, I think you said in the last delay it's, it's not the sponsor that counts as much as the vote I took. Right. Right. hundreds and thousands right. of pieces of legislation. Right. I don't need to get
2: credit for every bill that I've introduced that becomes law. It's about right. getting okay. the job done, and you do that through the amendment process, and I was proud to be able to do that. You know, on, on uh, yeah. disabilities uh, legislation, for example, I passed that. Uh, would you hold on? To- sure. i just
1: got to take a quick break, but I want to delve into that okay. and talk a little bit more about cybersecurity, because the truth was you were out of the curve on that. Okay. We'll be right back with Congressman Langman.
3: Jim has done a superb job as a member of Congress. He has been extraordinarily dedicated to the second district and to the whole state really, working hard for seniors, working hard for uh, everyone and he's made a significant contribution both in terms of uh, his own personal example and in other ways for the disabled community nationally. He has uh, really set uh, a standard for performance and dedication and skill and effort. Uh, in terms of his work on in the Congress, he's been a great partner. And also, uh, he has really took a, taken a lead, rather, in cybersecurity. Uh, years ago, when this was a novel topic, he understood the implications and the ramifications. And he has worked very closely to make significant changes in national policy which will benefit us for years to come. So it's a significant uh, loss, both personally and institutionally. But Seth Magaziner has the same uh, energy, talent, and enthusiasm that Jim brought to the job. And I expect very rapidly he will be uh, making his contribution, and a significant one, too.
1: This is like this is your life. (laughs) <laughs> you are going to have your kindergarten teachers going to walk in here in any second. Jack Reed, very complimentary, but also leading us into this larger discussion about cybersecurity. You were ahead of the curve. You talked about this 10, 15 years ago. And I don't know, maybe when, you heard, when we heard you talking about it, we were saying, well, what's he talking about? Yeah. There's other issues. Why, why did you pick that as your keystone issue? Because yeah. that's what you will be remembered for. Sure. And we'll talk a little bit about the accessibility issues, but this is it, yeah. cybersecurity. What, what made you go for that years ago?
2: Sure, first of all, I want to uh, thank Jack Reed for his comments uh, just a, a few minutes ago, along with Sheldon and David, the great colleagues that I've worked with over these last 22 years. It's really been an honor and a privilege to be part of this, this congressional delegation. Uh, on, on the issue of cyber, I was, uh, the way I, I kind of fell into this role is that I was chairing a subcommittee on the uh, Homeland Security Committee and uh, we had a, a briefing uh, one day from my staff director said you've got to get a classified briefing on the Aurora threat. And it was these two scientists from Idaho National Labs that found a way through a, a re- to remotely uh, tap into a, a generator's logic controller through a SCADA attack and okay. cause it to blow itself up. And then you know, the broader question is, well, if you can do it at, in, in, a, in a, a generator, which is about the size of like a, a container truck, if you will, the container that you'd see on a ship, for example, that you very well could do that at scale. And then you're potentially uh, affecting the, uh, the whole sector of the country's electric grid. And we were not prepared for that clearly as we were doing a deeper, deeper dive in this. So it became clear that cyber was gonna become a growing uh, threat both economically and, and uh, from a security standpoint, I've said it often. It's the it's the national security and economic security challenge of the 21st century. And it's not going to go away yeah. anytime soon. We've
1: made progress to protect, better protect ourselves, but it's still a long way to go. You know, technology moves so quickly. So uh, a scant 10, 12 years ago when you were talking about this, did you feel like the lone voice in the wilderness? And people oh, yeah. said, what are you talking about? We got, we got wars, we got recession, yeah. we got a lot of things to deal with And you're talking about cybersecurity. Do you feel yeah. vindicated now? Yeah. Do, you, do you, as you go down the hall, yeah. do you say, I <laughs> told you so, look at me.
2: <laughs> well, I, I used to get a lot of funny looks, you know, and, yeah. and people didn't understand the urgency of what I was seeing. But it, it really did concern me that, you know, we could have a whole a part of the country that got hit with a major cyber attack and the resulting loss of life or certainly economic damage and and you couldn't reconstitute yeah. you couldn't you couldn't fix that very easily very quickly or the the banking system or telecommunication system any number of threats that could affect our economy or our security so you know i i clearly everybody understands how important it is now but, you know yeah. when i was doing this you know 15 years ago it's, it was a new issue for people that, to. Get
1: their arms around. Let's get into disability rights and things like that. You're also a champion of that. But I remember when you were Secretary of State here in Rhode Island and you had an office in the in the Capitol and I was in there once and you were showing me this technology. Yeah. You speak to the computer and it says your words or it types out your words. Yeah. It was terrible. Yeah. It was a, you,
2: it was it was, it was it, not wasn't working. It, it you, was it was it was a challenge in the this, the early dragon dictate yeah. program. I remember that it was uh, it was a challenge to, to get it to work right. Uh now you know this the the dissertation is it's come a long way.
1: But technology has been important to you because of your situation. You had the accident, uh and it left you paralyzed and you depend on technology perhaps more than than we do. Yeah. This wheelchair you have is amazing. It goes up and down. It can climb stairs. Yeah. Am I, is this yeah. the one that can it, do that?
2: It, it can do that. Yeah, That's all, you know, complicated. I don't do that very often. All but, right. But, <laughs> but I, I do, you know, use it to go up curbs or rough terrain. It's, right. it's a great technology.
1: And you had the voice recognition software. Well, that was more, more than 20 years ago. So, yeah. I don't it's, want to yeah. date you, yeah. but when- Yeah, it was
2: back when I was Secretary of State. I, it was when I first started using the, the, the Dragon Dictate program, and yeah. then it evolved
1: into, you know the what it is now on, you know, on iPhones, and, you know. So there's this, there's this reliance on technology. You, yeah. you also have life support systems that you have to have in your home and things like that. This, the, do you have a different perspective on technology than maybe I do? And maybe this is what got you interested in protecting yeah.
2: it? You know, I, I think I've always been kind of a techie, but certainly I've, I've uh, I, I have come to appreciate the benefits that technology offers and it gives me more independence yeah. uh, and, uh, you know, being able to be uh, more fully, you know, uh, take advantage of, of uh, what society has to offer in terms of being out there and so, you know, just being able to use this chair and going on the beach, for example, on, you know, over the, on the sand and, and you know, I, it's on, uh, or rough terrain, it, it allows me to live a more full and in, independent life. But, you know, uh, you can control, for example, from your phone, you know, turning on the lights on and off in, in your home. Yeah. Um, you know, There's a whole uh, number of things, the, the, the heating system, you know, making it, you know, how to record? You, you do an, all that? Oh yeah. Yeah. So, it, I've, uh, and turning on, you know, the alarm, you know, in my house, Fine. you know, on and off. You can do this all, you know, from from your phone now. So technology has been important. The, the one thing that I saw when I became Secretary of State, um, the internet was just bursting on the scene. Yeah, it's surprising to even. Talk that you know, makes you feel, feel oh, old everybody. now, but, but uh, 1994 yeah. when I became Secretary of State, you know I was just learning what an email address was, right? And now uh, you know everybody knows, everybody has an email address right. or multiple email addresses. But we, we used the, the internet to put uh, information at people's fingertips, and so you could we started putting bills online and right, uh, right. you know uh, legislative votes online, and meeting notices online. So made it easier for people to access and connect with government. I thought information yeah. is power, and that should belong to the people. The other thing is uh, new voting machines that
1: uh, you i'll, I'll get yeah. to that because okay. that this goes back to your your time as secretary sure. of state you introduced it but i want to talk a little more about disability rights and mm. what it's been like for you mm. and how that may have played into your decision not to seek reelection. well jim you were here in congress
3: before i got here you actually helped me get here and in the time that i've been here you've been a wonderful companion and ally and now we're going to lose you in congress but our loss will be Rhode Island's game as you come home.
1: Am I missing something with the sweater vest look and the tie and the blazer? What's that? You have it <laughs> and he had it there too. Is this something in Congress? I don't
2: know. We know style.
1: What can I say? Sheldon's the shop dresser. So. All right. Let's, uh, let's talk about your advocacy for disability rights for, for obvious reasons. Uh, they really accommodated you when you came to Congress. You had a, you had a hideaway office. Uh, in the main building that they, not many people get that, and uh, they, they accommodated you, coming and going. Tell me yeah. about that.
2: Well, uh, first of all, again, it's been a privilege to serve over these last 22 years, and when I first arrived in Congress, they weren't quite ready for me yet, yeah. uh, someone with a, with a significant disability, but Steny Hoyer, uh, the, our majority leader now, one of the original authors of the Americans with Disabilities Act, was amazing and, and making sure that my service uh, in Congress was possible and seamless and, and he did everything he could to accommodate me. So uh, they did give me, instead. most members get three rooms, they gave me an extra room, so I gave yeah. a personal care room if I could to stretch out. I needed to rest my back and things like that. Um, after just, you know, long days and long nights, sometimes you're there until wee, wee hours of the morning. So um, that was very helpful. We made sure I got a, a, a first floor office so I didn't have to go into the, the lottery that most members go into, so for safety reasons and uh, and efficiency reasons, yep. being on the first floor of a building, you know, made made a lot of sense. Um, but uh, there were other things that needed to happen, uh, making the uh, the the. Um, the uh, rostrum on the floor, the uh, the lecterns, It one up and down. For you. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah. They they and they were mounted to the, so they could be mounted right. to the floor. They weren't originally. You know, I couldn't even get close enough. to My feet would get in the way. Hit the, my feet yeah. would hit the uh, the lectern, and, and so and I couldn't put my speech close enough to even read it. So I had to speak from the side of the lectern until that the house woodworkers built these beautiful lecterns that are now mounted on the floor that everybody uses. They put more voting uh, stations right. in. On the house floor so that i could get to them because most of them are behind the seats on the floor uh, so I, they put in a couple that were much more accessible and convenient and then the big thing was speaker pelosi uh on the 20th anniversary made sure that the speaker's rostrum was accessible they put a couple of a series of two lifts right. in the speaker's rostrum that allowed me to get up to the top level and and it was such an honor on the 20th anniversary uh to be able to preside over the united states congress and it was a uh, thrill, but it was also it was breaking a glass ceiling. It wasn't really about me; right. it was about saying the message to to all people with disabilities or with challenges that anything is possible. That you too can can serve as Speaker of the House of, of the United States Congress.
1: We're, we're, we have this segment and then another one. I just want to get to so many topics before before we leave. But there's unfinished work with regard to disability rights. Just a couple of months ago, you were denied passage on an airplane because the the, the foreign carrier wasn't aware of how your your wheelchair really is safe uh, to carry. They were concerned about the batteries, and you couldn't get to Europe, yeah. and you were mad about that. And I yeah. know you took action on that. What else, what else do you want to take action or see action on in that realm? What has not been done yet?
2: Yeah, so I'll say this, that you know, that, was a, that was a big deal, not being able to get on the arm because of the lithium-ion batteries in my chair. Yeah. Even though my uh, chair is FAA, uh, safety approved and and so yeah, the, the carrier wasn't uh, up to speed on the on the do in the regulations and the yep. safety system. You missed your flight. Yeah yeah yep. so um, but there I want to see legislation passed that standardizes that for all people as, as lithium-ion batteries become more pop, popular and and pervasive in, in use in, in right. chairs and, and mobility devices uh, so but the, you know that all lithium-ion batteries are not Rated equal, and some are more safe than others. These are are very safe. That are in my chair. So, but beyond that, uh, I want to see passengers with 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 disabilities uh, be able to travel uh, easily without discrimination or without uh, problems with the chairs getting damaged. That's a frequent problem. That all people with disabilities, if mm-hmm. you're having a wheelchair, that you 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 know every time that my my chair comes off the plane, I'm my holding my breath, you know, crossing fingers that you know that, that it wasn't damaged and I've had it damaged you know a number of times unfortunately. Okay. So uh, but also a couple of years ago I was very proud to have passed uh, the Air Carrier with disabilities, uh, Air Passenger with Disabilities Bill of Rights mm-hmm. so that it, it outlined the rights that, that people with disabilities have when, when traveling and protections but uh, the Air Carrier Access Act would go a step further to make sure there's more accountability and would allow people with disabilities to have a private right of action and have their day in court if the, their, their rights were violated. Right now, they don't have that ability, so I'd like
1: to see that change. You, you know, a person who, who is not dealing with your challenges doesn't fully understand uh, or have the perspective, you do. And sometimes we may see, oh, there's so many uh, handicapped parking spots. Uh, and just uh, last night, uh, uh, Mayor Wu up in Boston signed legislation to make sure that the televisions in a bar or a restaurant always have closed captioning on. And someone who's not challenged may say, well, there's, there's too many spots. So they That should be up to the private business. What would you say when, when, to someone who's not experiencing this may say it's a little too much? What would you say?
2: Well, I, I'd say, you know, uh, the life is full of challenges for anyone. For people with disabilities, you know, they're magnified and, and, and they're probably new, more numerous. And so I, I think that there's a, a good balanced approach you know to uh, in, in inclusion and uh, allowing people to live free and independent lives the The, the Olmstead decision that, uh, says that people with disabilities should be able to live free and independently uh, in in their communities where wherever possible. and that's what the Americans with Disabilities Act mm-hmm. uh, it, it was designed to achieve and and by the way i uh, I believe that I probably would not be able to serve effectively in Congress had that bill uh, not been uh, signed into law. So I'm grateful for those who champion the Americans with Disabilities Act and, and uh, it has made a difference in my life and I know countless others and uh, when we passed the ADA Amendments, ADA Amendments mm-hmm. Act I was there in Congress to help that uh, yep. that bill become law because there were several Court decisions over the years that had weakened the original tenor of the ADA, and and now uh, the ADA the Amendments Act helped to, to strengthen that. But you know, there's there's still more work to be done in, in terms of um, things like accessible transportation yeah. options. That is a real problem for people with disabilities. You know, if, for example, I can't just get an Uber uh, if oh, okay. I wanted to take I... a, uh, a a you know a a, a car of, uh, going to mm-hmm. a city or if you especially if you live in a rural community, yeah. it's very hard to get access to. Uh, uh, you know, accessible transportation options so those are things that we
1: need to still need to work on. How much did uh, your disability and the challenges you face every day just to get up in the morning uh, did that wear on you? Did that factor in you the decision to say I- I've had enough?
2: Uh, you know to, to some degree in that you know this is uh, an amazing job and, and let me just say it's been the honor and a privilege of my lifetime to be able to serve the people of Rhode Island in the United States Congress as their voice and their vote in, in Congress um, but you know, it, it, it comes with great uh, challenges. You're mm-hmm. always burning the candle at, at both ends, and your life is not your own. You're you're you know, there's a usually a very packed schedule, and you're going from morning until night. And then there's all the travel that's involved too. And you know, after after 22 years of living in two places at the same time, uh, traveling back and forth, you know, uh, almost weekly, uh, I, I decided that. You know, it, was, it was starting to kind of take its toll, and I, I wanted to uh, do yeah. something that allowed me to stay closer to home, didn't involve getting on an airplane every week, and, and have a, a, a better work life balance. But as I said before, I'm, I'm not, not going away, uh, I'm just coming home, and, uh, and it's been, again, such a, an honor for me to represent Rhode Island in Washington. It was, I always really wanted to give good public service to the people of Rhode Island. Mm-hmm. Uh, for me, this journey began in, in public life as a way of giving back to say thank you to the people in the community that rallied around me and, and my family at a time when I needed it the most when I had my accident and, and Then, after giving good public service, I wanted to be able to to say you know thank you and then and then be able to come home yeah. and be
1: able to do other things, which is what I'd like to do now. I once read a Parade magazine article on you U-M-M- many, many years ago, I, I think. It, it talked about you take, it takes you a long time to get ready, and it's a it's a grind, in yeah. getting on an airplane. Yeah, And you did it yeah. for a long time. Yeah, I did. And it was, a,
2: again, it, it was an honor to, to do it, yeah. not without its challenges, uh, but, you know, I just rolled up my sleeves and and went to work and just kind of made it happen you just don't think about it you just uh, make it happen but and,
1: and this whole but. path was as a result of your accident when you were a young man you wanted to be a police officer yeah the accident happened in the police station do you ever reflect upon that
2: this sure.
1: is th- this is not this was not the chosen path
2: no i, I thought if it, it
1: never happened you would have been i, I wanted you might have been the police to, chief somewhere I, well
2: i wanted to go into law enforcement as a police officer i thought maybe i'd go on to the fbi uh, as an FBI agent someday, but um, life had other plans, and it didn't work out. Um, I'm lucky to be alive. I, had, you know, the, the very blessed that uh, I I uh, made it through that uh, the very serious uh, accident, and then with the help and support of my family and community, uh, I was able to build a uh, a new life and went on to do other things. It hasn't always been easy. Uh, again, full of, life has been full of challenges for me, but. Uh, you know, I, I'm an optimist and, and I, I do uh, appreciate the opportunities I've had to, to make a difference and, and, and build a, well, uh, a
1: successful life. You have a remarkable disposition. And, and I know you're, you're a public person and, and you've always been this even keel when it comes to talking about the accident. Uh, but, but, but what would you tell a young man who maybe was going, is going through the same thing you went through? I mean, you've had yeah. life has seasoned you. You see, you see things a certain way now. Did you always see it that way? What well, had happened? Do you think about the accident on a daily basis? Does it cross your mind? Well, uh,
2: it, it uh, crosses my mind in, in, the, in the fact that I, I've been very fortunate to have a wonderful family and community that's always been there for me and that's helped me through the, the, some of the darkest times of my life. My faith in God has always been incredibly important to me. and. Um, and you know that that foundation is what helped me to to build uh and, and go forward uh, and so but it was you know it certainly is a has been full of challenges but you know that's what kept me going and then finding a passion for something that you love to do that's i think that's really the key to success in, in life in general and so to some other young jim langevin out there that's just you had an accident or is a setback or we have all have challenges in our lives that and you're looking for, you know, what's the next, that, that path, how do I get, you know, past this, how do I move forward? Find something that you have a passion for it, and go for it. Just do it. And it doesn't mean that right. it's always going to work out easily, but, you know, you find a way to, you know, to, to, to move forward and, and try to make your dreams uh,
1: come true, be, become reality. We have about a minute left, so let's, well, I wish we had more. I'll have you on the radio. We can continue the conversation. Uh, what's next? You, did you, uh, we understand you expressed interest in maybe taking over Rhode Island College, being the next president, academics. So, what is next? About thirty seconds. Left. So, uh,
2: first of all, uh, Jack Warner is at Rhode Island College yes. right now as the interim. I've met with him uh, several times now, and, and I think he's the right person for the job there. He's there for a, a year, I think, two, and, and I hope he stays even okay. and longer than so, that. So that's not for you. So, but I, I love my alma mater. Rhode Island College is is an important academic institution here in Rhode Island, and. I will always be in service of my alma mater and support it. And I may be doing something there in the in the future, but in in the near future, I'll be doing something in academia. I'll say that there'll be more that we'll talk about in, in January. Uh, but uh, I'm going to be looking for uh, a, a few different things that uh, that I'll put together that allow me to you know still earn a living, but uh, but also be able to make a difference in, in other ways. In, in any, I'll always be in service to the people of Rhode Island. I love the state, and the people who who live here, and and um, you know, how, how could you not try to want to make a difference for, for, for people in, in other ways?